And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the Skype line with us today is the Reverend Bill Shishko. And uh, you've heard him a number of times here on this station. Pastor Bill, it's an honor to have you on with us today. And Dan, it's an honor to be back with you, very sobered by the topic that's before us. <laughs> yeah, I, I should say what it is. Um, we, um, we love God's Word, and uh, one of the verses that are that's quite important to us uh, comes from the book of Ephesians, uh, where in the first chapter, uh, Paul is talking about being redeemed by the Son, and he mentions that uh, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And so on one of the programs, um, one of our uh, contributors um, will sign off on his section of the program by saying something like, uh, this is history as man has recorded it and as God has ordained it. And, of course, uh, the teaching of Ephesians 1 is behind that. But um, one of our listeners sent a very insightful note, sensitive note. I want to kind of describe the note over the air and then let you answer this note, Bill. Um, she's talking about um, that particular segment. You know, we, we have this program called Holding All Things Together. And at the end of the program, and it's kind of like a, like an NPR-sounding program that's that's Christian. You know, it's a magazine style, and um, other stations carry it, not just Redeemer, but we produce it. And uh, Cal ends it with This Week in History, and uh, during that time he'll mention whatever happened in history. It might be really bad stuff, like Roe v. Wade decision for the killing of little babies. Um, it might be uh, the recent law passed by... Uh, New York um, handing out free birth control at taxpayers' expense and and thereby encouraging um, loose living. <laughs> Any number of uh, evil things are sometimes documented in this week in history, and it uh, it struck her that it sounded very inappropriate to mention that um, you know this is how man has recorded these things and as God has ordained it. It sounded shockingly. <laughs> disturbing to this uh, dear listener. And uh, so the question, Bill, is, um, let me continue looking at her note here, God ordaining things in history and his ordination being kind of an umbrella over everything that happens in history, and how does that not make God the author of sin? Uh, You know, when we say God ordained things and and then gruesome, terrible things, that violate our our sensibilities happen in history. How could we possibly say that? So that's kind of the background here. And so um, you have been in the pastoral ministry for a lot of years. I've known you myself for quite some time, and you're one of the trusted advisors here at Redeemer. And so um, maybe you can get us started talking about this very, not just important subject, but sensitive subject. And I just want to say we're very sympathetic to this listener's concerns. Yeah, I, uh, I, I don't think there's any topic on which we have to say uh, more firmly, the place that we are on is holy ground. You take your, your, your sandals, as it were, off your, your feet, as the Lord told to Moses, the place that you're standing on is holy ground, because we're dealing with the, the problem of evil, 
And uh, we can be orthodox in our answer and very heterodox in our sensitivities. And we, we want to we want to be orthodox in our answer and, and not heterodox in our sensitivity. And right. a- apropos of that, uh, have, having read that, that email from that very sensitive Christian, um, I was very moved by it and, and appreciated it. And where we're going to go in this, we'll get to it as we go along, is the, the listener's very sensitivity is itself a very powerful evidence of the truth of the Word of God. And, uh, we, but but as, as we go along, we'll, we'll deal with that. I mean, what, she, what she's raised, Dan, and, and to all of your listeners, is the classic objection to the Christian faith that comes up in one way or another. It actually originated in our more modern world, so to speak, with David Hume, who was a Scottish skeptic. And, and basically, here, here's what you're dealing with. Either when you look at the evil that's in the world, as as the writer very poignantly describes it, you, you can you can reason this way: either God is good, but He's not sovereign. If if He were sovereign, He would have prevented such evil in the world. Or God is sovereign, but He's not good. He's some kind of a, of a cosmic sadist to to uh, decree this kind of thing for the world, or even to decree to permit this kind of thing in the world. And, and the challenge that we face, so to speak, is the scriptures very clearly teach that God is good, for the Lord is good, and his mercies are everlasting. And at the same time, the scriptures teach very clearly, even in dealing with the context of evil, that God is absolutely sovereign, uh, the, the, the the text, and there's many of them, but the text that comes to my mind is Proverbs 16 and verse 4. God has made all things for his own purpose, even the wicked for the day of evil. And, and there's where the language of ordination comes in. It doesn't say God has permitted all things. God has made all things for his own purpose, even the wicked for the day of evil. So that that's where we need to begin as we look at this. Um, I, I'm not sure, Dan, I mean, I, you know, I'm a preacher. I, I could go on and on and on with this. But but let, let me, I think maybe to, to develop this a, a little bit more, it's so important for your listeners to realize that this problem of evil, this classic problem of evil that comes up in, in many forms, is only a dilemma when you presuppose what God tells us in his word. Um, we're going to get to this a, a little bit, but basically the, the one who raises this objection, I'm not talking about the lady that sent the email, she's clearly a very committed Christian, but when we get this kind of thing out there by opponents of the Christian faith, we have to make the point that they're already borrowing from the truths of the Christian faith when they when they raise this objection. Now, now, now here's what I mean. If if a person says I I am an atheist, the response when you deal with the problem of evil, and I don't want to be callous, but if a person is a, is an atheist, there is no God. Basically, what is 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 to ask. Then in that case, why are you even bothered by this problem of evil? In fact, how is it even a problem if what is, is? My usual illustration is this. If things just are, 
what's the difference between my helping an elderly lady across the street and my running her over with a car? Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that, that's very, it's, it's a blunt illustration, but we have to ask it uh, in the face of modern atheism, which is really old atheism and modern dress, sure. um, when they say there is no God. Now, on the other hand, if people say, well, everything is God, then, and, and that actually, interestingly, is the kind of thing that came up in a lunch meeting I had today dealing with someone. But if you say everything is God, well, then both evil and good are, are ultimately equal. If, if everything is God, then the evil in the world represents God in some way, the same way, the same way good things do. So, so when the non-Christian, and again, I want to emphasize your, your writer is not a non-Christian. I'm going to deal with her question in a moment, but in the big, big picture that comes up out there, the non-Christian is always borrowing from the truth of the scriptures when that person makes judgments about good and evil. And, and we have to, they have to live in God's world, and, and that's part of the effect of it. Yeah, wasn't there one writer, um, I think I've referred to him before, Van Til, that made the illustration that uh, the the God-hater, the unbeliever, um, in his position, he it's like he's sitting on the Father's lap, and from that vantage point, he's able to reach up and strike his Father in the face. Yeah, exactly. And, and it gets a common illustration. It's an important illustration. And even the scriptures themselves, we'll come to a bit later, but Romans 9, where this issue comes up when it comes to predestination and election, Paul's ultimate answer after he says, doesn't the potter have the right over the clay to make of one vessel, a vessel of wrath prepared for destruction, and the other a vessel of mercy prepared for glory, that hits us in the face, like that <laughs> statement, God's ordained it. It really does. And here, yeah, and Paul says, who are you, O man, to reply against God? Uh, so, I mean, ultimately, that, that's where we go with this. Of course, your caller, now your caller, though, has raised the specific question about what we call God's decree. And at, at this point, I'll make some references to the Westminster Confession of Faith along the way. Uh, that has a whole section in chapter 3 on, on God's eternal decree, um, and then in chapter 5, uh, where it, it deals with God's providence, his, his government of all things, and then chapter 6, uh, the fall of man into sin. And I'd urge your listeners to, uh, they can access the Westminster Confession of Faith over the internet, uh, but to read those sections, they're very sensitively done. I mean, our fathers in the faith were not unaware of this issue and the Westminster Confession of Faith deals with this very delicate, but they always go back to, very delicately, but always go back to what the Word of God says. I, I think to, 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 to deal now specifically with your, with your listener's question, uh, the issue has come up about this very blunt statement, God ordained it. And, and of course, the Scriptures teach that. God works all things after the purpose of His will, in, in Ephesians chapter 1, uh, even Nebuchadnezzar, when, when he's in, in the present, after he has, he's experienced firsthand the power of God, says, I now I know that you can do all things and that, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Uh, Job says something similar as, as we'll get to it. So, so the question, though, is in, in God's decree, how do we understand that? And here, 
we can look, we look first really at, at what is the big challenge. Where did evil come from in the universe? That that's, that's the first thing, not the fall of man into sin, because that obviously presupposes a deceptive devil. And the scriptures speak about that. John Calvin in the Institute spoke of, of Satan as, as the degenerate creation, uh, the creation that fell. And there the scriptures simply don't say much. You read in, in Jude chapter 6 and 2 Peter 2, 4, these were the angels who sinned, and, and specifically the angels who left their first estate, which was a fallen state. And the, the only way we can answer that question, even though it doesn't satisfy us in many ways, it doesn't satisfy our curiosity, is we don't know the answer. The scriptures do not tell us why in God's sovereignty there was this degenerate creature, Satan, and then his angels, uh, Satan who fell into sin and, 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 and disobedience and rebellion and led others. And we have to simply say we're meant to live out of, out of every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. God in his word does not choose to tell us why Satan fell, and in, in, that, in that we rest. Otherwise, we're going to go back to the, the atheist dilemma of, of saying that, that uh, somehow God was out of control, if there really even is a God, and, and evil is just here necessarily. And, and so th- that, that's one side of God's decree. What most people are dealing with is the fall of man into sin in the garden. And there, the Westminster Confession of Faith speaks very sensitively, and it says on the one hand that, that God's, God's providence extends even to the fall of man. Um, it, 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 says, it, it says particularly in chapter 5, uh, the almighty power, unsearchable wisdom, and infinite goodness of God so far manifest themselves in his providence, his general government of the world, that extends even to the first fall and all other sins of angels and men, and that not by a bare permission, but such as has joined with it a most wise and powerful bounding and otherwise ordering and governing of them in a manifold dispensation to his own holy ends, yet so as the sinfulness thereof proceeds only from the creature and not from God, who being most holy and righteous, and I would add in good, neither is nor can be the author or approver of sin. I don't think there's any, any fuller and more sensitive dogmatic statement that, that just builds on what the Word of God says that talks about uh, God's decree. I use the language, the, dec- the decree to permit the fall. Adam and Eve truly had free will. They were the only human beings who had free will, uh, true free will, other than Christ himself, although even Christ himself could not sin. But, but, uh, but Adam and Eve, as, as, as mere creatures, had, had, uh, had, had that free will, and they abused it. In, in, under the sovereignty of God, they abused it and brought this world into sin. That's the only way we can understand as we look at the world why the world has the abnormalities in it that your listener so poignantly draws attention to in her email. Mm, yeah. 
This area of, of mankind's free will is also a sensitive subject, and I know that um, uh, you're referencing the Westminster Confession, and um, in there it does teach that violence is not offered to the will of the creatures, in, in that God has this eternal decree. And then it goes on, it says, nor is the liberty or contingency of second causes taken away, but rather established. And so we do have a will, but I, I'm quick to just mention, and and that is the scriptures also teach that mankind is now after the fall, he's dead in his trespasses and sins. So uh, unless <laughs> unless God, the triune God, does a work in his heart, his will always chooses the wrong path. Exactly. And and of course that's that's why wickedness is so great in the world is precisely because of the fall of man. I mean you read that in, in, in Romans Romans chapter three. Of course the issue is how is this resolved? And when we speak of God's decree regarding sin, it's critical we realize, and this is where Ephesians one comes in God's primary decree is to glorify his son, and this language to the praise of God's glory, and I think this gives us a little window on on how to, how, how, in the decree of God anyway, how the the challenge of evil is, is dealt with. There are aspects of God's nature that would not be displayed if it were not for the fall grace, uh, mercy, long-suffering, kindness and love even toward the wicked. That has no meaning apart from the fall of man. And the best that I can come up with in this is that we look at the decree of God, first of all, not in terms of man and his salvation, but we look at the decree of God in terms of Christ and the glorifying of God in the person and the work of Christ. That brings us to the only resolution of the problem of evil, which is in the perfect obedience of Christ, the only place where perfect absence from sin is is manifested in the world. The cross in which the devil and his, his angels are disarmed, Paul says in Colossians chapter 2. That's the only place anyone can come to a resolution of the problem of sin and evil in the cross in which Christ took the punishment of all of the sins of all of his people and thereby also brought about a restraint on on, on iniquity in, in the world. His resurrection from the dead in which he brings in, in principle, new creation, so important to see, new creation is vastly greater and better than first creation because man in the glorified estate cannot sin anymore. Even even that possibility of sin that God allowed in the world in his own creative work in Adam and Eve is done away with by the glorification of man, and of course the reign of Christ, in which Jesus is not only redeeming sinners, but bringing about a renovation in the world in which the powers of sin and iniquity are being overcome. There's where your listeners, uh, not least the, the, the writer of the letter, need to go with this. We always look to Christ 
and the cross and his resurrection and his reign and his return as the way by which the problem of evil is resolved. Mm. This um, chapter of Ephesians has a really neat uh, layout. The first section talks about being chosen by the Father. The next section, redeemed by the Son or purchased by the Son, and then sealed by the Spirit. This is this is an amazing picture of God's grace. And Bill, does this grace of God depend on God seeing our future faith? No, if that were <laughs> well, because by nature we're dead in trespasses <laughs> and sins. If that were the case, then it's all hopeless for all of us. I mean, that was it's interesting. This this day in which we're doing this recording is the anniversary of my conversion 47 years oh, ago. Oh, praise the Lord. And if there was anyone who was running away from God, it was me <laughs> and the Lord, what was described by one poet inimitably as the hound of heaven, pursued him. And <laughs> I was not pursuing God, but he pursued me and changed my heart. And uh, no, it's 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 God. Even even faith itself, of course, is is a fruit of the spirit. Yeah. Uh, one other text that 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 just as you were speaking, I, I, I thought about. It, it's very interesting how the apostle Peter really deals with this issue of the problem of evil in the cross. In Acts two twenty three, he says, "This Jesus, who was delivered up." according to the predetermined counsel and foreknowledge, which there means not he knew it just ahead of time, but he planned it ahead of time, foreknowledge, the predeterminate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you crucified by lawless hands, putting him to death. And how interesting it is that in that very heart of, of the beginning of Christian preaching, that issue of the problem of evil comes front and center and the resolution of that problem is found in Christ. That's where Christians need to go because no other religion in the world can offer that answer. Mm. Well, I'm looking at the clock. I realize we have a couple of minutes left. Um, I am so happy <laughs> that as um, Paul goes on in the book of Ephesians, he, he says, but God, <laughs> who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Um, Just some final thoughts, and and Bill, also take a little time and tell the listeners about your program, A Visit to the Pastor's Study. Thanks, Dan. Final thought is this. I'm increasingly impressed because this question has come up for me in, in different ways over the last couple of weeks I'm increasingly impressed that the book of Job, which you could make an argument, actually, that Job was the first of the books of of the scriptures written. We don't know for sure, but there is a strong argument you could make for that. It's fascinating if that's the case, because Job is about the problem of evil. Here is this righteous man who prefigures Christ, who experiences all forms of evil under the influence of a devil who is nevertheless bound by God himself. And, of course, that's developed throughout the chapters, right right up through chapter 38. And here's the answer that we've got to give, and I'll give it to you in a, war, in a word in a moment. After all of these discussions and disputes and the questions why that Job asks on the other, God speaks and says, where were you when I made the constellations? 
And I'd urge your listeners, especially this very sensitive writer who wrote the letter, read the whole book of Job, and there's going to be where you go. It's worship. At the end of the day, we don't take away God's sovereignty. We don't take away God's goodness. That's what God says in his word. We bow before God and say, God, you are infinitely above me. And Lord, I bow before you in a reverent worship before you as the God who's sovereign and good and so loved a fallen world that you gave your son. So uh, that that's that's my parting word. As far as the program, you just got a minute. I'd love the pro people to listen to a visit to the pastor's study where we deal with issues like this and others. And that is on Redeemer Broadcasting every Saturday, beginning promptly at 12 o'clock through 1255. It's call in program. You'll get the number on the program. But I'd love to have your listeners listen to a visit to the pastor's study. And uh, topic of the week will be there. There are opportunities to call. And if you're interested in the website, it's very easy. It's www.visit. All one word, visit the pastor's study. That's P-A-S-T-O-R-S-S-T-U-D-Y, visit the pastor's study.org. Dan, thank you for the opportunity to, to uh, address this question, and I hope it's helpful for your listener. Yeah, I believe it will be, Bill. And um, um, also, I think we both acknowledge that this is a first step to answering que- these questions are so deep and they're, they're so felt so emotionally keen that probably follow-ups are needed and layers to questions and answers are needed. So perhaps we can continue the discussion. Uh, perhaps also listeners may want to call in to a visit to the pastor's study, which is heard 12 noon on this station. Pastor Bill Shishko has been our guest today. And uh, Bill, thank you so much for joining us. My honor. Dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer. Receive from his nail scar.